We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. In Samuel chapter 2. We're going to try to go through two chapters tonight. I think it was last Friday we went to Knott's Berry Farm and uh, you know we had seasons passes to Knott's Berry Farm and um, one of the cool things about having a seasons pass is that you can go on days when the, when the lines are short um, and, I, and I, I really don't like going to Disneyland, Magic Mountain, Knott's Berry Farm when the lines are long because you know you can be in line like Knott's Berry Farm they were in line for two hours for a ride that was 30 seconds. You guys, can you relate to that? Don't you hate those long lines? You know, and I was thinking about that. I'm like, you know what? That was not worth the wait. It wasn't. But you know, there's another wait, and it's, it's about waiting on the Lord. And what waiting on the Lord means is that, you know what? You do the right thing over an extended period of time, and even though you don't see the results immediately, you wait on the Lord with eager expectation, great anticipation, and one day, one day, you are going to be so happy that you waited on the Lord, that you did the right thing over an extended period of time, because God will honor your life of obedience. I know for me, the Lord made it real simple. He said, Manny, this is, I put a little thing on my note, God to Manny, love the Lord, love your wife, love your children, Read, pray, and obey, and watch how one day I'll reward you and your faithfulness. Pretty simple. You know, but a lot of times we don't want to wait. We want things now, and we get frustrated when things don't happen right away. We get upset when we're, you know, in the drive-thru for over five minutes, right? We get upset. Man, I can't believe the thing still took me 25 seconds to warm up my tortilla, you know? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> We're blessed, you guys. We are so blessed to know that as we wait on the Lord, one day we're going to be home in heaven. It'll be worth the wait. It'll be worth the wait. You know, one day God's going to bring that, that man that really loves you that you can marry. It'll be worth the wait. One day God's going to bring that girl that was made just for you. It's worth the wait. One day God's going to put you in a place in the church, a position. You don't have to put yourself there. And it's worth the wait. Everything that God wants to do, it's so cool as we wait on the Lord. And we're going to see that. That was the lesson for David. David had to wait on the Lord. You know, God, when he was just a young guy, probably like, I don't know, like maybe 17 years old, God said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. But he had to wait years. In 10 years, he was, you know, on the run. And we're going to see today that things begin to happen. And finally, finally, he begins to see the fruit of waiting on the Lord. But it takes a while. Because look what happens here in chapter 2, in verse 1. It says, It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up, David. And he said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. And so if you remember the story, what had happened was Saul and his sons had died in the battle. Uh, David was in the land of the Philistines, and so now what ends up happening is he is at a crossroads in his life. 
he's not sure what to do. I don't know if you've ever been there, if you've ever been in a situation, you're like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You have decisions to make, right? And so what, you, what is the best thing to do when you're in those situations? You call somebody up, right? Hey, what do you think? Go to the phone. No, that's not the best thing to do. You go to the throne, right? You ask God. And that's what David did. He prayed, Lord, what should I do? What should I do? He inquires of the Lord. And, you know, it's amazing to me how so many people make so many decisions without even bothering to ask God about it, without even bothering to pray. But David does so in verse 1. He inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. And David said, where shall I go? And the Lord said to go to Hebron. David not only asked if he should move, but he even asked the Lord where he should move. And this is David at his best. You know, life will go right when you pray. You know, when you really pray to the Lord and you ask him for, you know, different things to do. I remember when I asked, you know, my wife to marry me. And uh, it was a tough thing. We had been dating. And, you know, when you're dating, a lot of times people are putting pressure on you. Hey, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? And, uh, uh, but finally, you know, that we, we and, you know, this is probably not the best advice, okay, but everybody has their own path, but, you know, I just knew it was time, even though all the, the numbers didn't crunch up right, and all the finances weren't right, but I prayed about it. I said, Lord, is it time? Lord, is it time? And the Lord said, finally, you know, it was time for me to ask her to marry me, and uh, so I asked her to marry me. At first she said no. No, I'm just joking. She didn't. <laughs> she said yeah. Um, but the Lord, what he did, what, I prayed about it, and he spoke to me. I mean, God just made it clear. See, because we have a relationship with God. This is what Christianity is. It's not a religion. It's a relationship where whenever you have a relationship with someone, you talk to them, and they talk to you. If they don't talk to you, then that means you don't have a relationship with them. And see, we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. His son died on the cross, allowing us now to go into the holiest of holies and have a relationship with him. So you can talk to God, and he can talk to you. And whenever you have a major decision in your life, you can pray about it, and he will speak to you, and he will give you the divine details. He'll tell you to go, and he'll tell you where to go, and he'll tell you when to go. He'll, 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 he'll guide your life. And, and so, you know, I asked her to marry me, and thank God she said yes, but we didn't know how it was all going to work out. But it was so cool, because after I asked her to marry me, it's then I got a promotion. And so then God gave me the hours and all the numbers and the finances just fell into place. And God has provided for us for the last 20 years. I mean, we had to live on beans and rice and Jesus Christ and stuff like that. And that was fine. We did, you know, we don't have, when we first got married, we had a little apartment, things like that. But I'm telling you, when God guides, God provides. But how can we make decisions without praying about it? You know, here's David. He's at a crossroads. And he asked the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. And that was David at his best. You see that in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 4. He inquired of the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8, he rescued his family. We're going to see it later in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 19. 2 Samuel 5, verse 23. 
and even 2 Samuel 21, verse 1, in which he inquired of the Lord. He asked the Lord. The Hebrew word, it means to ask, to consult, to seek, and even to beg. And so my encouragement to you is to use those words when you pray, to ask the Lord, to consult the Lord, to seek the Lord, even to beg the Lord. Lord, show me what you want me to do in this situation, especially when you're making those big decisions. You know, don't get weird and don't ask the Lord, hey, Lord, what socks should I wear today? Some people are like that, you know. Well, maybe, I don't know. But um, when you're making those decisions, pray, fast, seek the Lord, and wait for him to answer you. Like the Lord did here with David. The Lord says, you go ahead and you go into Judah, and you, I want you to live specifically in this place called Hebron. That was a, a city of refuge. And so it says in verse 2, David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. And so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And so David and his men, they move from Judah to the city of Hebron. And while he's there, it's just an amazing thing. And I know we read it real quick, and it's like, you know, you can just really just like miss, or miss it and keep reading. But do you, do you see what's there, you guys? Do you read what's there? They anointed David the king of Judah. Do you, do you read those words? Do you hear those words after all these years? That promise that made to him when he was just a young man, just a a 17-year-old kid, they finally come to reality and they anoint him the king of Judah. Now, we know it's not done yet. Eventually, he's got to be the the king of the whole country. But, you know, when I read those words right there, I, I see an individual who who lived the life. He wasn't a perfect man because none of us are. But he was a proper man. And he had a relationship with God. And he would sing songs to God. And he would write letters to God. And he was a, a loyal man. He never, you know, overstepped his boundaries. He never went against Saul. He was a proper man. I mean, he wasn't a perfect man, but he was a man that was always heading in the right direction. And God knows it. And he's an example for us. Because I promise you this, man. That when you live a life of obedience, not perfect, but you know what, Lord, here's my heart. I want to do the best that I can for you. I love you. I need you. God will bless you. And you're going to see the fruit of it one day. It may take time, but don't be discouraged. You know, and that's what ends up happening. Finally, the day comes where, where David is anointed as the king. Although he wasn't perfect, we all know that. He was a tremendous example for us in the area of waiting upon the Lord. And, you know, waiting, oh, man, it's a hard thing to do, huh? It really is. It's a hard thing to do because, you know, we by nature are, are is so impatient. And we, 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 are, we just want to move ahead of the Lord. And, uh, and when you wait on the Lord and you're like, man, I'm just confident your expectation, great anticipation. You watch what ends up God does. 
And this applies to so many situations in your life as you wait on the Lord for a job or you know, a certain role or responsibility that he has for you, for a spouse, for a promise that he's given you somewhere along the line. Even the day, and, and here's a trip, you guys. We, st we even have to wait for the day that we become kings. Did you know that? And you're like, no way, Manny. I'm not going to be a king. Yes, you are. The Bible says that in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. And he made us kings. He made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, of course, we know Jesus Christ is the king of kings, and so he's got the king with the capital K, but we're going to be kings as well, small k. And we read that over and over again in, in, in the Bible. And the way it works, just to give, kind of give you a snapshot of what that is, is that in the millennial kingdom, during the thousand-year reign of Christ, he's going to be ruling from Jerusalem, and we're going to have different places on planet Earth. And so maybe you'll have Hawaii. You'll be all excited about that. Um, I'm hoping Almani. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, I don't know. What city do you like? Uh, but we're going to be responsible for that. And, you know, not that we want power. It's not like that. It's just that we want to serve the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. And, you know, in life, I don't know what life is going to throw at you. I've been a Christian now for, I don't know, 20, 23 years. And I've seen a lot of people that were doing so good along the way fall away because something happens in their life. And so it's so cool when you, when you continue to follow the Lord in spite of the difficulties in your life because you know, one day I'll be home. One day I'll be in heaven. One day I'll be rewarded. One day I'll be king. One day I'll be reigning with Jesus. I'll be serving Jesus. And it just, heaven, it's not just a destination, it's a motivation when it becomes real. And, and David's an example for us. Again, not a perfect man, but, you know, thank God, he just kept going in the right direction. And God rewarded him for that. And he became king. I want to encourage you guys to wait on the Lord. Uh, David wrote a neat psalm in Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, when, I don't know, there's just so many things I can give you as examples, but, you know, if you don't have a piece about this decision, if you don't have a piece about that situation, if you don't have a piece about that relationship, you know, wait. I always tell people three things. Number one, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. But number two is tune in. And you're like, Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. Well, just like you get that radio dial on the exact frequency, you really listen to the Lord. But if for some reason you're still not sure, then you tarry and you wait for God to speak to you the way that he promises to. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That whole chapter right there is a chapter where the children of Israel thought, God doesn't see what's going on in my life. My way is hidden from God. And God says, listen, I see everything that's going on. And here's my word to you. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. 
trust in me and wait on me. David did that, and man, it's so beautiful to read that the day came when they anointed him as the king of Judah. And so we read in verse 4, it says, And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh, Gilead, were the ones who buried Saul. And so David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh, Gilead, and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now, may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. And now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant for your master Saul. Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Now, I'm not sure the information about the deeds of these men of Jabesh Gilead was one where the informant intended all good. You know, hey, hey, David, these are the guys that, that rescued Saul's body. Remember the story? They had cut off uh, Saul's head. They took his body and they hung it on display. And for the Jew not to be buried was a, a, a disgrace. And so what ended up happening was these men, these courageous men, they crossed over the river. And they went and they rescued the body of Saul. But you're like, wait a minute, time out. Saul was David's enemy. So it, remember, remember we talked about this? If someone was trying to kill you and then they died, wouldn't you be happy? <laughs> Most of you here would be like, yeah, I would be. David wasn't. He mourned for him. And when these guys went and rescued his enemy's body, what was David going to do to these guys? Are these good or bad? David, you know what? David said, good job. You guys shown kindness. You're loyal. You're brave. You're courageous. And God's going to reward you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to reward you. And I just love that. One of the big lessons, and going through these two chapters tonight is kind of difficult because there's a lot of historical elements to it. But one of the, the lessons in the background here is that God rewards obedience. God rewards faithfulness. And God will punish disobedience. See, when we disobey the Lord, and it's not necessarily that he has to do it. It's just that, you know, um, you go and, and, and you say, God, I don't want you. God, I don't want you. Then God says, okay. But watch what happens without me. It's not a good thing. See, that's what happens when you don't want the Lord. And so you're going to suffer the consequences of that. And that's why, you know, we're going to see that overall lesson today. And these guys were kind. They were encouraged. They were faithful. And David said, man, the Lord's going to repay you for your kindness. I'm going to repay you. But one last thing as a little tag right here. If you would, pray about, you know, letting me lead you as king. Saul's dead now, and these guys have anointed me king. Man, pray about being on the team. Now, they're from Jabesh Gilead, which means they were from a different tribe over in Gad across the river. Unfortunately, they didn't, they didn't want to participate. Only the tribe of Judah at this time followed his leadership. And so we read right here in verse 5b, Oh, I'm sorry, we already read that, huh? Verse 8, it says, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, 
he took Ishbosheth the son of Saul and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. And so, you know, how did David become king? Eventually, we're going to see uh, his reign, and it's going to be so cool going through the lessons of David when he's king, but exactly how did he get there? Well, first, he was uh, anointed king over the southern uh, tribe of Judah, uh, but the rest of Israel was under the leadership of Ishbosheth. Abner, the general of Saul's army, who was actually related to Saul. Some say he was his cousin, some say he was his uncle. But he took Ishbosheth, Saul's only remaining son, and he made him king. Now here's the thing. It took a while even for him to gain control of all Israel. It took about five years. But after five years, finally Ishbosheth had control of Israel. And so he reigned over all Israel for two years. While David was reigning over Judah, we're going to see for a total of seven years. This Abner was the commander of Saul's army. Uh, he was the one who made Ishbosheth king. And we see that he's the one that side by side would hunt David down. He's the one, if you remember the story, when David went and he uh, went into the camp and there was Saul asleep. Abner was the one responsible for protecting the king, but Abner didn't do it. David grabbed the spear, he grabbed the jug, and he rebuked him. Abner, more than likely, was the one who was lying to Saul the whole time, trying to you know, convince him that David was his enemy. This guy, Abner, we're going to see, he's a bad guy, really bad. So is, I, I think, Joab. <laughs> Another lesson we're going to see and I hope I'm not confusing you guys, but we're going to see another lesson, and that is this, that none of these guys are perfect. Abner, Saul, Joab, um, you know, you name it, man. They're all, they're all kind of jacked up, kind of like you. Are you guys jacked up? Knuckleheads? No, there's no one here that's got it all together. There's nobody here that does. Sorry. But you know what? God is still working a plan. Now, I'm not saying make light of those things, but the reason I say that is because I want you to know that there's hope. There's hope. For 22 years of my life, I was going in the wrong direction. For 22 years of my life. You name it, I didn't want God. I went through the religion stuff. I went through the drugs. I went through all the forms of rebellion that anyone could think of. I did not want God, but you want to know the amazing thing is that in those 22 years of rebellion, God was working in my life. God was preparing me for what he wanted me to do. I mean, you know, I, was, I grew up in El Monte up until the sixth grade, and, and right about the sixth grade, you know, I was getting involved with, with gangs. My cousins were all involved with gangs. My father would get in fights. I mean, I, when I read about the wars and the things that are going on right here, 
I can relate to like those fights where there's a whole bunch of guys, you know, you got 30 guys here and 30 guys here and they're clashing and they're stabbing and there's blood and there's shots. My father was shot in a drive-by shooting. He didn't die, but, you know, I, was, I saw this stuff and I was involved in, in a lot of this stuff. And so, you know, you're just thinking, well, then there's no, there's no hope for your life, right? Wrong. See, God was able to take even all those things, and later on, and they moved out, and I went to West Covina, and I got kind of like civilized, I guess you could say. Um, nothing about Almani or West Covina, but, you know, it was just different. But when I got older, there was a burden in my heart for Almani. Now, do you think it's, I just think that God has a plan. And, I'll, and I'm saying and looking at all these guys right here and just the crazy things that they're going through and the things that they do and the ups and the downs and the all arounds and yet at the same time just seeing God has a plan. And God is going to make David king. And David will be a picture of Jesus. And we look at this world that we live in today, and we see all the crazy things that are going on in the world, and these foolish, you know, rulers in this country and that country, and all the things that we're doing. And you know, uh, you know, we might even lose hope. We're like, man, where's, where's God? God's got a plan in all of these things. And one day when we're home in heaven, not one person—did you know this? That not one person will be missing. Just like we look at all the stars, not one of them is missing. Not one person will be missing because God's got a plan. God's on the throne. It's an amazing thing. And so anyways, you look at all this right here and you're like, man, there's a lot going on here. And these guys are all messed up. But God is going to work out a plan. He makes Ishbosheth king of the northern kingdom. But that's only going to last for so long. You know, and David's here on Judah, and he's going to be king for seven years. Just in case you're wondering, it's right about 1,000 B.C. We're right around there, 1,000, 1,010 B.C. And so look what happens in verse 12. It says, Now Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon, and Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. And so they sat down, one on one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. And then Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. And so they arose and went over by number, twelve from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called the field of sharp swords, which is in Gibeon. And so now we're introduced to another knucklehead. His name is Joab. Uh, first time we see him in the Bible. Uh, he's got a couple of brothers, Asahel. And uh, what's this other guy that he mentions right here? Uh, Abishai, verse 18. These guys, if I can say it this way, I don't know if you guys understand what I'm saying. These guys are bad. You know what I mean by that? Uh, you're probably thinking bad, bad. I mean, just these guys are like, like warriors, man. I mean, these guys, they've been in war. They've been fighting. They are just tremendous warriors. Joab and Abner... 
Joab's two brothers. They've been in all these wars uh, with David, fighting, going on raids, doing that stuff. And so what ends up happening is as they're there, you know, they, the, they finally meet the, the guys from Israel, Abner and his men, and Joab and his men. And they're, they're in front of this uh, pool. It's a pool about as big as, it's about as wide as this sanctuary right here, 35 feet or so. And it's about 35 feet deep. And in those days, it wasn't a pool that you swim in. It was a pool that you, you know, would go and gather water from underneath. And so anyways, they're there, and they just start, you know, rumbling. And they say, hey, this, this Abner is the one who starts it from Israel. He says, hey, let's get the young guys and have them fight. And so you got 12 on this side, 12 on this side. And it's a weird thing. I guess it's a cultural thing where you set up the number of men, you get it all squared away, and in the end, they all kill each other. It's weird, huh? They just grab them by the head, and they both, they all kill each other. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't have to be that way. If only Ishbosheth, if only Abner would have submitted to the will of God, no one would have had to die. But what ends up happening, men resist God, and we're going to see that many, many people die. As a matter of fact, look what it says next in verse 17. It says, so there was a fierce, very fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now the three sons of Zeruiah were Joab and Abishai and Asahel, and Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. And so this guy, he could run. This guy, he could just run, man. And so Asahel pursued Abner. Now Abner was, was bad. This guy was just a warrior. And in going, he did not turn the right hand or the left from following Abner. And then Abner looked behind him and he said, Are you Asahel? And he said, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right or to your left and lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And so Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him literally underneath the fifth spear in the, in the fifth the rib in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear so that the spear came out of his back. And he fell down there and died on the spot. And so it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, they tripped out and they stood still. <laughs> When they, when they saw, no way, Asahel's dead? This guy's been fighting with David since the beginning. He, you know how when you watch the movies, you know how you guys go to the movies, you're like, oh, he's not going to die. He's not going to die, and they're not going to die, right? Because they're like the, the main characters or whatever. You're thinking, Asahel's, he's never going to die. And so when he's dead, everybody's like, whoa. But, you know, we know that Abner was doing it in self-defense. He's running. He's saying, no, take one of the other guys. Don't, I don't want to have to kill you. He kills him with the blunt end of the spear. Now, in those days, they did sharpen the blunt end, but it wasn't as sharp as the front end. He, he just tore him up. Boom. He just kills him like that. And so you're thinking, man, why are we reading about this in the Bible, man? It's kind of funny, the other day we were reading together uh, as a family. We're going through the Bible, pray for us as a family, okay? I'm not going to brag, but I'm going to give God the glory. We'll have read the entire Bible together as a family this year. And so I'm super excited about that. 
as a family, having read the whole Bible together. But anyways, uh, we're in the Song of Solomon. And you guys know what that's about, right? It's about romance. And my son's all, Dad, why do I have to read this? <laughs> and and we, we read stuff like this, gory stuff and murder and stuff. And it's all in the Bible. It's all real life, right? And so, but it's, these guys doing bad things, but it's all, we're going to see God will take it. Man rules, but God overrules. And it's all going to fit together. It's all part of God's amazing plan. And so I read in verse 24 right here, it says, Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Ammah, which is before Gerah by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit and took their stand on top of a hill. And then Abner called to Joab and he said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? And Joab said, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. And so Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. See, the, 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 the men of Judah, they're, they're chasing the, the guys of Israel, and, uh, and the guys of Israel are dying. And we're going to see in the end, 360 soldiers from Israel die, only 19 from Judah. God's on their side, right? And so this guy, Abner, who I'm telling you is, is a scandalous guy. He's just a wicked, perverted, selfish, ugly man. You know, then he finally says, hey, you know, why are we fighting? You know, we're brothers. And it's like, dude, you started it. You're the one who initiated all this. You said, let the young men fight. But see, that's the way some people are when it's convenient for them. Then they'll try to work things out. We're going to see Abner does that a lot. He brings in the Lord only when it's convenient for him. But he finally stands up on the hill and he says, Hey, guys, you know, we shouldn't fight. We're brothers. And, and, and it's just going to end up in, in bitterness and death. And, so, and so, so Joab says, Okay, all right. And he blows the trumpet and he says, You know what? If you hadn't have said anything, we would have chased you down all night. And so they end up fighting and then the fight's over. And so we read in verse 29, Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain. They were, they were afraid. <laughs> they just kept running, man. <laughs> and they crossed over the Jordan and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanaim. And so Joab returned from pursuing Abner. And when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing of David's servants, 19 men, and, uh, and Hesahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men, 360 men who died. And then they took up Ahasahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which is in Bethlehem. That was on the way back. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. What a victory. Why do you think it is, you guys, that they got the victory? Is it just because they were better soldiers? I don't think so. It's because they were part of David's army. Right? Because God had his hand on David, and they were part of David's army. David was chosen by God. 
And the reason that we can get the victory, and I don't care if it's in your marriage or there you are in your finances, I don't know what the situation is for you, but when you align yourself with Jesus Christ, then he will give you the victory. And that, that's just the way it works. As a matter of fact, I'll even take it even like another sub-step. And I, I think that's one of the reasons God's blessed Calvary Chapel, because God chose Chuck Smith. Now, is Chuck Smith perfect? No, not. But God said, I'm going to give him grace. And that's why you've got to find out where God is and just join him. My encouragement to you is to really align yourself with Jesus Christ and the work that he's doing and the way that he pours out his spirit. You know, whatever you do, don't think that it's because, oh, he's the greatest teacher or it's because he's the greatest, most obedient man. It doesn't always work that way. God chooses whom he uses. God appoints and God anoints. God chose David, and because they were aligned with David, that's why they won. And we have to have the same heart, aligning ourselves with Jesus Christ. You know, as a pastor, you're like, well, what do you want for these people, Manny? I'll tell you what, uh, one of the things I was watching the Frank Pastore funeral the other day, and uh, it was a cool funeral, but one of the things they said about him was he, want, he wanted to win. And, and I guess in a, in, a, in a weird way, I want you guys to win in life. I want whatever it is that God has called you to experience, God has called you to do, not only going to heaven, but bringing as many people with you as possible, bringing him glory and honor, exalting him, enjoying him. All that's part of the victory in your marriage. When you align yourself with Jesus Christ, then he'll give you the victory. I don't care who the enemy is. I don't care what the enemy is. Jesus Christ will give you the victory. There's a promise there. You know, some people, it's kind of funny because you talk to them about marriage and you give them the counsel of God's word and it's so, it's, so, it's so easy to find out whether or not they're implementing those things. How's your marriage? If your marriage is still jacked up, then you're not doing things God's way. It's pretty simple. You know, don't sit here and tell me, well, I'm doing things God's way and it's working you're not doing things God's way, and I can tell you that because you're telling me that, that it's not working. That's how life is. Life works. You'll win in life when you do things God's way. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, and, and I'm not saying that you know, it's going to be easy, and I'm not saying you're going to be rich or healthy. You know, I don't know how all that works, but I know he'll give you what you need. You might not get the Hummer. Maybe you will. That'd be cool. Money in and of itself is not bad. The love of money is bad. I don't know. I don't know. All I'm saying is that when you do things God's way, when Jesus Christ, when you're on his army, then he's going to give you the victory. God had given Joab the victory due to the fact that he was connected with the king. As a matter of fact, look what ends up happening in verse 1. It says in verse 1 of chapter Three, now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And, you know, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but let me ask you a question. Christian, especially Christians, 
Are you growing stronger and stronger? Or are you getting weaker and weaker? Are you getting closer to Christ? Is there a fire in your quiet time with him? Is there a passion? You know, when I spend time with the Lord and I just put on, I, just, I love loud music. How many of you here like loud music? I love loud music. I just boom. I want to feel the bass and, and the drums and everything, especially worship music. And so I got a real nice, I have to confess to you guys, don't tell anybody, but I got a really nice uh, speaker system, right? And so I, 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 literally, I literally put it right there, and I get on my knees, and I'm, boom, it's right in front of me. And I put it up really loud, and I just worship. Do any of you guys do that? Or maybe headphones? I, I put my headphones on really loud, really loud. And my, dad's all, and my son's all, Dad, Dad, what are you doing? I'm all, man, I've been listening to loud music all my life. I used to be in a band. I mean, I, my ears are fine, man. <laughs> But I tell you what, just there worshiping the Lord. And I, and I know that when you read in the book of Revelation about us worshiping God, you know, some people, when they never really experience worship, and then when, they're, when, they're not, when they don't really worship, then they, don't, they, they can't get that. They're like, what are we going to be singing so much? Why are we going to be singing so much in heaven? Why are we going to be, you know, kind of worshiping for the throne all the time? You know, I want to go play my video game. I don't, I don't know, you know, but I tell you what, when you know, when you've experienced that worship, I'm thinking, you know what, Lord, I think I can do this for eternity. It's amazing. And see, all I'm saying is that, are you getting stronger and stronger, or are you getting weaker and weaker? And don't try to convince me. Who cares what I think? It's real. Are you getting stronger, or are you getting weaker? My encouragement to you is just get stronger, man. You know, draw near to the Lord. Wait on him, get real, get rid of sin, and go forward. David's house, I love that. I love it. It was just getting stronger and stronger, but the house of Saul was growing weaker and weaker. And so it says here in verse 2, And sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Ammon by Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, his second Chiliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, the third Absalom, the son of Mekah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ithream, by David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. And so David is uh, growing, and his family's growing too. Now, just as a quick side note, some people might wonder, I don't get it, how come he had six wives? Yeah, that's a good question, man. It's, you know, and I love being married. I've been married for 20 years, but even just being married to one wife is, is, is tough. You know, it's hard work. It takes your devotion, man. You got to pour your heart into it. You got to romance her. You got to really, you know, pay attention to your marriage and pray with your wife and read with your wife and, and speak words of encouragement to her. It takes a lot. So imagine having six wives, man. It's hard, right? So I just want you guys to know, just in case you're wondering, God never advocated polygamy. He never did it. He allowed it. It was a cultural thing, but he never blessed polygamy. It was something that we see they struggled with. David has all these kids, and, and, and we see what ends up happening in verse 6. Now it was so, 
while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ahiah. And so Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? And then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hand of David, and you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman? May God do so to Abner and more also, if I do not, for David, as the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan, that's the tip of Israel, all the way down to Beersheba. That would be the lower southern end. And, you know, Ishbosheth, he couldn't say anything. He could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. Remember, um, Abner was the general. Abner was the one who had the power. And so what ends up happening was, uh, we don't know for sure if Abner slept with Saul's concubine, had sexual relations with her. We don't know. He probably did. And so Ishbosheth is kind of like, well, that's not right. What are you doing? And Abner just gets all, he gets, just goes crazy. Abner's power in Israel was growing. And uh, what ends up happening is this whole thing then turns it around to where Abner then goes to David's side. And, 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 and basically, if you really read between the lines, he knew it was going to David's side. It wasn't like, oh, okay, now a light turned on and the Lord gave a promise to David and, you know, everybody knows it's a godly thing. David was the anointed king. No, it's, it's really, you just read between the lines and you knew that Abner was in this for himself and he knew that, you know, things were changing. He says he was loyal to the house of Saul, but he wasn't. He was fickle. You know how some people are? They have a certain team and when their team doesn't start doing good, then they start liking the other team. Do you guys ever do that? Kind of like the Lakers right now, okay? I mean, some people, are they're just good Laker fans. But then now the Clippers are doing good, right? They have probably the best record in basketball. And so some people, they're like, well, you know, I've always liked the Clippers. <laughs> yeah, right, dude. You would never watch a Clipper game, right? I mean, I know that's sports, and that's really a trivial thing. Same thing, I think, with the Dodgers and the Angels. We really, you know, had some loyal Dodger fans, and then when they started doing bad and the Angels, you know, now that's kind of how Abner is. He's like, you know what, I used to like Saul's house, but uh, come to think of it, David was always the king. And it's like, dude, we know the reason you're saying that. You're not real. You're not a real man. You're just, you know what, there's no loyalty in your heart. Even David wouldn't honor that. David was loyal to Saul. David was to the very end because he loyal. He was loyal to God. I, I don't know, when I read these stories right here of loyalty and humility and just they really challenge me as a man to really figure out where I am. Am I one of those guys that, okay, which way is the wind blowing? Or am I committed to God? Am I committed to this ministry? Am I committed? And, and you just, you know, you got to really search your heart. All we know is that this whole thing turns it around so where Abner sets things in motion in verse 12, he sent messengers on his behalf to David, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. 
And David said, good, I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. And so David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, give me my wife, Michal, or my son says her real name is Michael, but I, I just won't say that, because it sounds like a guy, don't you think? Anyways, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, oh man, from Paltiel, the son of Laish. And again, this is funny. And then her husband went along with her to Bahurim, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, go return. <laughs> and he returned. Abner was a bad dude, man. <laughs> and so, um, you know, David... Uh, you know, gets word from, you know, the general, um, Abner, hey, we're, we're going to set up a covenant here. We're going to work things out. We're going to make you king, David. And so David says, okay, one condition, you got to get Michal, my, my wife, back. Now, if you remember, Michal is this, the daughter of Saul, the, the sister of Ishbosheth. And so um, people ask, well, why? Why did he ask for her? And I really think that the reason is because he loved her. He loved her. It was, she was like his first love. He was like her first love when they first got together, remember? And so now, you know, she, he runs away and he doesn't see her and who knows? You know, all these years he's thinking about her. And finally the day comes and he says, man, I want her. Now, during that whole time, of course, she's kind of hooked up with somebody else. And so I don't know how all that played out. But I know when I read this whole thing, I'm like, man, this would have made a good movie, huh? Because it has a love story in there, you know? And, um, you know, there's movies that are made of David now, but they're not that good. But anyways, um, in reading this whole thing right there, they find, they strip her away from her husband. He doesn't put up much of a fight because he can't. And so we read in verse 17, And then Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, In time past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then, do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. And then Abner went also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. And so Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And so they're getting kind of get everything together. Abner's thinking, man, life is going to be good. I got the elders of Israel. I got Benjamin. These are the movers. These are the shakers. They're all on the same page. We go to David. We grub. We have the big feast. Everything is going to be so cool. But remember this, man, that whatever you plant, you will reap. And what Abner is planting is selfishness, wickedness, disloyalty. And, and so look what ends up happening in verse 22. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab, they came from a raid and they brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away, and he is already gone? 
Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that you are doing. And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, who brought him back from the well of Sirah, but David did not know it. Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately, and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. See, the obedience will be rewarded and, and the disobedience will be rewarded as well, justly, either in this life or in the next life. And that's why it's important that we do what's right. You know, the ironic thing is that... Um, you know, Joab comes back, he's all upset, I can't believe you let the enemy go, he just came, he's a spy, he just wants to find out you're going out and you're coming in, and you know, Joab's really, really ticked, and so he goes and he summons Abner, probably in the king's name, hey, the king wants to talk to you, and so they set him up, and then boom, he takes his sword, and again, underneath the fifth rib, the exact same word in the Hebrew, the fifth rib, underneath the fifth rib, he killed him right there. And it's like these people, they think that they can do whatever they want. And oh, no way, I'll never have to give an account. One day they will. And, and it's kind of funny because Jesus said it this way. The judgment that you use, I'll use the same judgment on you. And that's exactly what happened to this guy Abner. He ends up dying there, right? But here's the thing, and I don't know if you guys can read between the lines, but later on, when you go home, read these chapters again, okay? David is playing it wise. Now, again, I don't think David's perfect in this whole thing either. David is kind of, you know, he's kind of becoming a, a little bit of a politician, to be honest with you. Look what ends up happening. This is in verse 28. Afterward, when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house, and let there never be in his house of Joab one who has a discharge or who is a leper or who leans on a staff or falls by the sword or who lacks bread. Those are the curses found in Deuteronomy. He says, man, let all this happen to Joab and his family. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother, Asahel, at Gibeon in the battle. And then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. And so they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept, and the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters. As a man fails before wicked men, so you fell. And all the people wept over him again. You see, David is just wanting everybody to know, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. Um, you know, I liked Abner. Are you sure? This is the guy that was chasing you down for 10 years. This is the guy that was wicked. This is the guy that set up Ishbosheth to be king when he knew you should have been king. But David is playing it smart. And then all the people wept. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath saying, God, do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. Now all the people took note of it and it pleased them. 
since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. And then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today, though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zeruiah, are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. And it's interesting because that's kind of the whole synopsis. I mean, I know there's a lot of little things tucked in there, but, you know, God God will bless obedience. God will bless those who, who simply say, Jesus, I need you. Help me, Lord. And, and unfortunately, those who don't want the Lord, they're going to suffer the consequences as well. Some say that David couldn't handle Joab. If you have the New Living Translation, it says, And even though I am the anointed king, these two sons of Zeruiah, Joab, and Ebashai are too strong for me to control. So may the Lord repay these wicked men for their wicked deeds. Now, I don't know for sure if that's the case. Warren Risby would disagree, and I'll close with this. He said, The word weak doesn't suggest that David was not strong enough to be king, but rather that he was restrained and gentle in contrast to the hard approach of his nephews. You see, David had experienced God's gentleness, and he tried to deal with others as God had dealt with him. He no doubt went too far in his approach when it came to his own children, but David was a man after God's own heart. And all David could do in the end was leave the judgment to the Lord, because the Lord never makes a mistake. I like what Warren Wiersbe says right there, you know. Because I tell you what, you know, sometimes you get people and they're really harsh. And yet God has been so gentle to them. I think that's where I need to be. You know, with my kids, it's real easy to get real harsh with them. And then I catch myself and I say, wait a minute, time out. You know, God's not like that with you, huh? No. Lord has been long-suffering with me patient with me and kind all my life and I tell you what I need to be the same way with others and, and you know God will give us the wisdom sometimes things are a little different and he shows you how to love with a tough love but I think that in the end David is a good example because it all worked out for the glory of God and so let's follow his example, and let's believe in what he represents. He represents Jesus, Jesus Christ. Not a religion, not a set of rules and regulations, not a program, a person. His name is Jesus, and he died for us on the cross. I believe that my life should therefore be lived honor him. I pray you guys would have that desire as well. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word today, and I know there's a lot here, Lord, but I pray. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626 454 
3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.